It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, today's episode, it's particularly special as we have finally arrived at the final week of the 2023 Division I college tennis team season. It is time for quarterfinal action in Orlando. That's right, folks. Four fantastic matches scheduled on Wednesday for the Division I women, Thursday for the Division I men. Of course, we'll have coverage from first ball to last of each and every Division I quarterfinal over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It has been such a pleasure for our our Cracked Rackets team to be able to shine a spotlight on what has been a phenomenal 2023 NCAA tournament to date. And of course, on this show, what we plan on doing for all of you listeners, all of you college tennis fans out there is setting the scene for what all of you listeners can expect from the start of the action in Orlando. Of course, we got to play a little catch up. We got to recap everything that happened over the course of Super Regional Weekend. Multiple 4-3 matches, multiple 4-2 affairs. So many matches decided on the margins. Plenty of spectacular tennis for us to break down. Of course, beyond that, we also got to preview all of Thursday's quarterfinals. Four fantastic matches. It really does feel like the 2023 NCAA championship is up for grabs right now. All eight remaining teams, absolutely a legitimate shot at capturing the Division I men's crown. But again, on today's show, Our plan is to recap all eight Super Regional matches, preview all four quarterfinals, and if we plan on tackling a topic so immense, you know i like to have help along the way to do so. Thankfully, I've had this man by my side to help me each and every week, not just this season, but I can say it now. Over the past five years helps has helped me steer the ship in all of the college tennis coverage we do here at Crack Rackets. Of course, you all know this man best. It's a forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. I saw him in person yesterday, so I can confirm he actually is now a lean, mean, vegan machine. Of course, we know him as the press professor, college tennis's nature. Silver. It's our dearest friend, Chris Helioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. We are in Orlando. The action is set. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm feeling pretty good. But, you know, after last night, I think there's a, a I can come up with a far better uh, analogy than college tennis is Nate Silver for you. Oh, no. Given the way the Michigan guys treated me, <laughs> I'm like Ben Shapiro at the Democratic National Convention. 
Yeah, that's good. That's funny. Um, yeah, I guess. Should we should we keep going through politics? I mean, we've already. Said I just only- figured I'd throw one out that was up your alley. You no, know, so. that's good. I was gonna say people know the only people who uh, the only person who's more bribable than Clarence Thomas right now is me uh, being here in Orlando. Right? I mean, hats, gear, it's all being thrown our way, and so I'll be sure to disclose them all on my financial forms, unlike some. But yeah. It was really fun. Already we're yeah. one day in and, you know, Chris and I got to hang out last night, not just get dinner, but of course we got to watch the Division Three men's final, the Division Two women's final. Two quick notes before we get into our Division One coverage because I started our deciding point with Jay with one rant. I guess I'm going to decide our uh, start our podcast with a different rant. First of all, I've seen a lot of dominant teams during my time as a college tennis fan. I was there for the Virginia years. I was there for the USC years. I'm not as familiar with the Stanford women dominance, but certainly just look at the record books to see what they've done. That said, what Barry Men's and Women's Tennis is doing right now in Division Two, it's a joke. Like There are times when you watch the Barry women, and honest to God, credit to Nova Southeastern, who did not play a bad match yesterday and pushed Barry about as close as that Barry team can be pushed, but I watched their semifinal. Uh, you know, I watched for both the men and the women. I watched the Barry men final as well, the women final. It's just like, Chris, they're so much better than the rest of the field, and like... Now, they need Simon Simon Earnshaw and Armstrong back in Division Two ASAP because it's a runaway train. It's what six for the women in a row, four for the men. Like, hot damn, Chris, is it fun? Yeah, they they were good, and you're right. Nova Southeastern did actually give them a match. Maybe wasn't expecting it to be as close, but it was. I mean, they took dubs and then they pushed them. You know, they got off quick in one singles, but. Then it was hours before anything else got off. And that was that was actually a good match. But yeah, in the end, you know, Barry's just too good. It was ridiculous to watch that Barry team. Again, both the men and the women compete. And like, again, shout out to Nova Southeastern. They lost three Division II women's matches all season long. Chris, can you name who they lost all three to? Absolutely not. It's the Barry it's women. That they only, only it's Barry and someone yeah, else. Oh, it's no, all it's Barry. only Barry. They only lost oh. three Division Two matches. All of them to Barry. Like that's a damn good season for Nova Southeastern. And let the record show we were there to witness it all. Also, quickly at the top because he's been so he's been far too kind to our Crack Rackets team over the years. And you know, I know a lot of people are excited to see Case Western senior James Hopper. How does he make that transition from the top of Division Three men's college tennis to the top of Division One men's college tennis? Shout out to Case Western. They sweep the doubles. They take a 5-2 win to capture their first title in Division Three men's tennis history over Tufts yesterday. Now, it was Tufts' first uh, national championship team match as well, so you knew we were walking away with a first national champion. The energy of that case team, Chris, you know, I fell asleep last night with C-A-S-C, and it's like, oh, I was confused. I was like, at first I thought the USC men were there, and I was like, I'm pretty sure Michigan beat USC 4-3. I'm like, what am I missing here? Because I'm hearing a lot of SC. And I was like, oh, SC is in C-A-S-C. And that's how you spell case. Oh. Um, but no, like, to win, first of all, I'm all in on every doubles point counting as one. Like, God, does that make doubles fun? Uh, at the same time, man, shout out to case. Hell of a performance. Your thoughts on what we saw yesterday? Yeah, that was a, that was a great match. And even, I mean... I, 
for from Case's perspective, thank goodness they took all three doubles because it was not looking, you know, they needed all three of those. The singles was was kind of, you know, favoring Tufts, if you will. And it came down to Hopper and you know, they were on serve in the second. So no given there. He gets up with a couple chances to break. And if he doesn't get it, that, that match is totally still alive uh, uh, for Tufts. And yeah, it, that's what it came down to. I'm with you on the double. I would love to see all three doubles points count. We had a little conversation off the side with Coach Rodidi about that last night as well. And I do think, yeah, it, while it sounds good, one of the downsides is it it could make, you know, it could make singles a lot less relevant. You know, if you jump yeah, out sure. to a 3-0 lead, it's almost impossible to overcome that. Uh, you know, it gets gets very, very difficult. But but yeah, it, it definitely was exciting. And yeah, the energy you and I were talking about, the energy from both of those teams and the noise was probably better than most of your D1s. I mean, picture what the Michigan folks do all the time. That's kind of what you heard in that d3 match where they were just loud and talking and and the other thing that makes it even better is look these d3 rosters have like 20 kids on them right i mean the the team sizes were huge and and that just adds and so it, it was a lot of fun yeah no i mean shout out to todd wachkowski that case program again very well deserved they made three consecutive ncaa finals third one's the lucky charm you know who else made three consecutive finals and the third one was the lucky charm chris happened in the past decade oh boy Come on, it's the UVA men. That was like a layup. That was like 2011 was, final, 2012 final, and then 13 they finally get I, through. I was afraid we were going to some club championship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, again, shout out to Todd and Case. Last thing of observations from the grounds, because this is the stories that everyone actually wants to hear, and this can be how we transition into our Division One coverage. Death, taxes, watching Michigan and Ohio State practice next to one another. Like, on the scale of things that just need to happen in life moving forward, oh my God, was it amazing. Because, first of all, look, we the Michigan men play with energy. They yell. You're going to get goes. You're going to get blues. You're going to get Michigans. You're going to get just a lot of things throughout the course of the hour that or plus that they are on court. But last night... All these teams trying to get some nighttime practices in. Michigan's doing their thing. Who's practicing right next to them? Ohio State. And after every go on the Michigan court, you got a box from the Ohio State court. You had David Roditi rolling over with laughter during the TCU practice, being like, is this serious? Like, are they going to do this the whole time? The (laughs) NC State women, like, sorry to call her out. Nell Miller's Patrick Maloney impression belongs in the ITA Hall of Fame. Like, it's freaking hilarious. I was dying with laughter. Um, This is what it's all about, Chris. Like, God, was it a fun day one in Orlando. The NC State women mocking the Michigan as they were walking out was incredible. It was great. It was just great. I think Nell goes, Simon! Like, just like trying to get us into... It was just... It was really good. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And again, if that's day one of the action, we haven't even had any Division One tennis folks. Those are your observations from the ground. Of course, we'll have recaps of each and every day of this Division One team event. We might even throw them up on the mini break podcast feed to all of you listeners who are curious. So, of course, we'll tweet out links to them, but be on the lookout for all of that. We will have content rocking and rolling over the next week. 
plus here in Orlando as, of course, we try to send this 2023 college tennis season off in the right fashion. With that said, that's a long enough opening monologue. What we want to do here on today's show, recap all eight round of 16 super regional matches, of course, preview all four quarterfinals as well. And the reason we're able to do that day in, day out, week in, week out here on these episodes of The Deciding Point is because of the support we get from all of you in the college tennis universe. And sincerely, players, coaches, parents, whomever it may be, if you see Chris, myself, John J. Parsons, Dalton Thienman gets in here on Wednesday, you see any of us roaming the grounds, come say hello. That's the best part about being here in Orlando. And, you know, last night, another quick tangent highlight for me, someone comes up to me during the Case Western match and goes, hey, I trained with your mom. And I was like, like, tell Laura I say hello. And I go, holy you just name dropped Laura? Like, you actually do know my mom. Like, hold on, what's the deal here? And he goes, yeah, your mom was kind of, you know, they're both doctors. My mom was his training doctor when he was in residency. And I was like, get out of town. I was like, well, if you name drop my mom, you've got a spot. Like, we're taking a photo together. And so, again, it's little experiences like that. Chris and I went and got some pizza last night. We had some fun with the Tufts team who ended up being there. Had some fun with some coaches who were there as well. That's why we're here in Orlando. So, College Tennis Nation, if you're around, come say hello to Chris and myself, of course. A massive shout out to the dear friends you'll probably see outfitting Chris and I all week long. And that, of course, are our friends at Turna and LS. It's simple, folks. Try the Turn Tough Grip today. It's the best in the business. The latest iteration of the Turner Grip still gets tackier when you sweat. Still retains that iconic trademark blue color. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. Of course, we're so grateful for Turner support. The least we can do, ask you to become one of the millions of tennis players who rock a Turner Grip. Join the Turner family today. Of course, a shout out as well to our dearest friends at LS. Remember to be outfitted in the best catalog of clothing available on the tennis market, including the new Cracked Rackets LS College Tennis Collab. Be sure to check out the entire catalog uh, offered by our friends at LS. You can find it by clicking on the link in the description to the show. If you're curious or interested in that Cracked Rackets LS College Tennis Collab, be sure to click on the link, which I believe you can find both on our website as well as across all of our Cracked Rackets social media. A massive shout out to the support we get from our friends at Turna and LS, proud sponsors of The Deciding Point. All right. All that said, Chris, we are going to be efficient here, much like I was with John J. Parsons. We're going to get through all of our round of 16 matches. We're going to preview the quarterfinals for all of you college tennis fans. And much like we did with John J. Parsons, let's start with a match that was maybe the most exceptional match scoreline-wise. Certainly, if you read the articles written by the GOAT, Colette Lewis, she refers to it as one of her best matches she has been to in recent memory. It was a match that no one that wasn't there uh, was able to see, of course. And it's a match between Michigan and USC, the most highly anticipated match of the Super Regional round. We knew this one had 4-2, 4-3 written all over it. And Chris Alliores, it did not disappoint. Now, of course, Michigan comes out blitzes USC in the doubles. And we talked about this yesterday, the lack of continuity in this USC doubles teams. You know, the fact that they were trying to work in a new piece in Lerner TN to that doubles lineup with about four weeks to try and get everything acclimated, the chemistry set, the plays right. That's really tough to do. And credit to this Michigan team who has not been good at doubles or were not good at doubles through the first three and a half months of the season. They're playing their best doubles down the season's home stretch. 
6-1 win at 1, 6-1 win at 2. They were up 5-2 at 3. As expected, Michigan blitzes USC in doubles. But as expected as well, we knew USC would not go away. That pound for pound, their six singles players, that might be as deep of a lineup as you see as any lineup in the country. And as such, not a shock to see Dostanich come out and get a first set over Styler despite facing multiple break points in that first set. Lerner Tien, 6-3 first set over Maloney. Uh, Ludwig Vestrate, 6-3 first set over Bickersteth. The big one, of course, and I got to give him a shout out because you know my framework. I sent my younger brother, Nick Gruskin, to this match. He was our on-the-ground correspondent. He was forced to give me a play-by-play update of everything that occurred. Chris, when I tell you Nick Gruskin is in love with Wojtek Merrick's game now, like the biggest single winner of this USC-Michigan match is Wojtek Merrick because I guarantee you Nick Gruskin will chirp in my ear about him now every you know for the rest of his college career. And like, God, apparently Wojtek was just exceptional in his match. And look, credit to USC, protecting, for Lerner Tien to go on the road, get a straight set win over a senior Pat Maloney, you know, who's been exceptional. I think that's his third dual match loss of the season. It's a hell of a win for the freshman. Wojtek did his thing. He wins in straights over Aaron Schneider with Strade 3-2 and two over Bickersteth. That is a dominant showing for Ludwig. But man, credit to these Michigan Wolverines. Andrew Fenty from 4-3 down. Straight set win over Peter Mock. Gavin Young was up a set and a break for the majority of the match versus Fry. Now Fry gets that break back, but Gavin 6-2 in the third. And then look, as expected, two of the 10 when they're playing their best, maybe two of the five when they're playing their best players in the country, comes down to the battle. Styler versus Destanich. Styler serves for the match twice, 5-4, 6-5 in the third, gets broken on each occasion. Dostanich races out to a 4-1 lead in the breaker. Styler works his way all the way back to a 6-5 match point. Devastatingly, devastatingly, a Dostanich double fault gives Michigan and Styler the match. 4-3 Michigan advances. Now, that was a little bit all over the place in terms of the the description of the pace of what happened. It wasn't just, US, you know, doubles, 3-1 USC, 4-3 Michigan. Obviously, there's some interweaving between those results. But, man, Chris, for this Michigan team to get three singles victories over this USC roster, it probably is their best win since the national indoors. And it's a hell of a performance for a Wolverine group that, let's just be honest— it was final cider bust. When you have Styler, when you have Maloney, Fenty, three seniors who have meant what those three have meant to this program, you have to get to the quarterfinals. They do that. They're on the dance floor. God, was this one fun to follow from afar. Your reaction. Yeah, just, well, first of all, shout out to, I'm assuming it was the SID for Michigan that finally went uh, went live for yeah. the break. Shout uh, out and- indeed. And let us all see it, and the action, and the camera work, even from from the stands that he put in there, zooming in on the scoreboard and the players in between points. Oh, that was outstanding. Uh, but no, I mean, look, it. I mean, I have to say, the match went down almost exactly like we called before the match, as we thought it, it may go. In that, no faith in the USC doubles. Michigan should take doubles, and they do. And then it's a, and then we said, you know, it's really, it's a question of can they get the three singles? Cause we know USC's, you know, uh, just a tremendous singles lineup. And 
Uh, and we got, we, I thought it was going to be really tough, even as well as Maloney has played, it's going to be tough to beat Leonard Tien at two. They didn't get it done. The star to me, at least early for the first two and a half hours of that match, was Fenty getting off the court in straight sets mm-hmm. with a straight set win because they needed that point something awful as, as USC then, you know, gets straight set wins from from Tien at, at two and, and Merrick at four and Wistrade at six. Uh, and then, like you said, yeah, it looked like Gavin was going to put up a straight setter and didn't as he gave that break back late in the second. But man, the finish to that. Uh, I wish we had watched the whole match and only getting to see the breaker, uh, you know, uh, actual video of it, it. It was tough to call, but I mean, it even started at the the level started great in that breaker. And when Steph went up like three, he went up four one, but I think it was the three, it was either the three one point or the four one point that he just he he treated Styler like a rag doll. He ran him from corner to corner, just looked like he was playing with them, but just not you know enough that Styler could still get the ball back, and then he hit it to the other corner, and then get the ball back and hit it to the and and he and he looked like he was just going to run away. And then all of a sudden the wheels just sort of fell off. Not like horrible misses, but step like every ball step hit was like six inches long. He just everything kept going just a, a hair long on him. And like you said, the I mean, terrible that that match had to end on on a double like it did. Um, but yeah, it was great. And I even commented to Styler last night, like if I ever see him. Five four up in a break or second serve, <laughs> serve and volley again? No, come on. Well, that's a oh. well. So just quickly off of that, and then we'll move on because again, we're going to be efficient with our word choice here. But this was a four three thriller that no one got to see. Again, for this Michigan program, Maloney, Fenty, Styler, when they made the twenty twenty national indoor semis, Chris, we were both there, and we were like, "Yeah, f-ing right." Like, what a joke this run is! Like, what a fluke! Styler keeps winning. You know, he's three love down to Aguilar or whoever it was. Vasher well, be in the second set. That up to yeah, him. The whole hundred yeah, percent. Or you're just like. You know, again, all the to beat Texas the way they did in that quarterfinals. You know, to me, it would epitomize that run. I love you, Nick Beatty. He's up a set and a break on Destonic, and we were both sitting in the booth like, yeah, right. Like, no, no way. Um, But again, and credit to that USC team who got through there. What a moment for this Michigan program. Like, you said it perfectly. Fenty's down 4 3 in that first set. If USC takes five first sets, I don't know if there's a pathway back for Michigan, but man, for the second straight year, whether it was this time in the Super Regional, you know, he's done it all year long, but last year against P.Y. Bailey, obviously 4-1 down in the third, he's able to clinch. Fenty's been NCAA clutch, and like, again, him, Stai, Maloney have this Michigan program in a place they haven't been since the late 80s, which is as good as any program in the country, and man, is that a massive testament to, again, their success. On the flip side, to last USC thought, Chris, then you can have the final word and we'll move on. A, we will not be tolerating Stefan Dostinich slander on this show because anyone who wants to say he choked that match away, to quote the great Logan Roy, rest in peace, f- off. Because, like, he broke down 5-4 in the third and then he broke again down 6-5 in the third. So you're going to tell me that's not clutch. I'm going to tell you to go f- yourself. Like, I'm sorry. That's just like the stupidest, that's the stupidest line well, of thinking I've ever heard. And for a guy who lost one dual match in the 2022 season, like, yeah, double faulting match point 
it's miserable. Like, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. I especially wouldn't wish it upon a guy in Stefan Dostanich who you're just not going to find a nicer human being in the world. But, like, I won't accept Dostanich choke that match away slander because he broke twice while returning to stay alive in the match. The other point is, like, God, if this season's one month longer, where does this USC team finish? If they do have some time to get their doubles set in, you know, I know Colby is in the transfer portal, but and I'm pretty sure that's public news because um, I think that Twitter account yeah. sent it. Um, but like everyone else but Fry can come back, and like Tien could come back, Destanich could come back, Mock, Merrick, they will be back, Bud will be back. Yeah. Like, and that's not including a single new recruit. I'm sure they'll pick up. USC ain't going anywhere. Final thoughts on this match can be yours. Yeah, well, I'm with you on the step. Step did well. First of all, you can't say somebody choked it when they were down five three and got back to you know force breaker. Got had a hold and got to five all and then got broke broke back again to force the breaker. And it wasn't like yeah, again, it wasn't like his balls were he was just spraying or hitting too soft and letting Styler hit winners or putting balls into the net. I mean, he was hitting good balls that just were just barely going long on him. I mean, he was still playing well and that was just, yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. I think the interesting, what, what we're going to need to see in the off season for what we're going to make of this USC team next year, obviously the, the question is, uh, you know, how many of, and I'll just call it the two, the Stonich and Tien are back are either of them back. Is it Destanich only or, you know, or is it both? I, I don't know. And that's going to, I think that's going to be a big tell. They'll, as you said, Coach Macy will get recruits. They'll bring guys in just like they brought, brought in, you know, uh, Mac and Merrick and, and, and Ludd. They'll have plenty of those. The question is, you know, can you replace a Steph or, or a learner? And, that's a little tougher than just getting solid guys that that can play three through six. So, so let's see what happens there. If one or both of them go, then yeah, it's going to take a little work. They can still get away with even one of them back. Right. I mean, they didn't have learner most of the year and they were still good. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they were very good. Uh, they just weren't going to be a title contender, if you will. But, uh, but if they both go, yeah, then there's some, then there's some work to do. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. Well, with that said, again, we're moving on to our next match, and we're going to be far more efficient. The reason we spent longer on that one is because no one had the chance to see it. And if you'd like to read more, highly recommend go reading Colette Lewis's recap of the match, which is available on tennisrecruiting.net. All right, that in the books. Let's get through these next seven a little quicker here, Chris. Let's start with our other 4-3 match. It wasn't on our broadcast, but it was available on camera. Stanford, sans sophomore Max Basing, take the doubles point from Kentucky. They also get a straight set win, ferry over Draxel at one. Kolasinski, you know, gives them the sort of lane to an upset they need in a in a straight set win over Jaden Weeks. And for what it's worth, Stanford took doubles and three first sets in this match at one, five, and six. But credit to this Kentucky team. One through four has been their projected strength since the start of the season. And, you know, after a tough loss against uh, Northwestern, Alafiayeni, one and one over Samir Banerjee. Lapidot, four and two over Basavaretti. Body, three and four over Rajesh. We've said all season long, if this Kentucky team can just go one and one at the five and six positions, then they're going to find pathways to success. 
They get that one from the number six spot as Charlotte Cosne, 4-6-6-1-6-3 win over Chaudhry. Your reaction to this Kentucky victory? Uh, I mean, yeah, good for Kentucky because they – they're going to need something at five and six. And, and it's been a little, it's been tough down the stretch for them to get that. And, and Cosne gave it to them, which, which is what they needed. The, my other take really was, wow. Like Ieni, who's been, you know, for a good stretch through the middle of the season, not great, seems to be turning it on. I mean, we know, Again, we know the talent level. The guy was top 500, was or is. I'm not he is. He's the highest ranked college tennis player in the ATP rankings. Yeah, top 500 in the ATP. We, you know, he can play. Uh, and so the question is, is he, is he going to, is he going to show up and, and play when, when these matches count? It sure as heck looks like he is. Uh, and so that was, that was big. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, the top four we know are going to be the heart of this team. I think if they continue to get, solid, solid play from the top four and one of the bottom two, it's a tough out. No, I, I think, again, the path's really clear between doubles, one through four singles, go three and two. Like, if they can go three and two through those points, and they yep. could go three, they can win those points 4-1 on the right day. But obviously, as we approach the quarterfinals now with the Virginia, you know, everyone's got top threes to hang with. Three and two, split five and six. Like, I know that sounds very simple. It's like, wow, they need to, you're telling me of the five points, they need to go three and two, Alex? Great analysis. But, like, absolutely. One of Drexel and Ianni can win every match they play. You know, one of Lapidot and Body should win every match that they play. And so, here's the thing, though. I don't think two and three at the top, uh, you know, top four in doubles is going to be good enough because there will be teams with more experience who get after a Weeks or who get after a Kosne. But if they go three and two in the top five, you know, doubles in the top four, this Kentucky team's right there. And obviously defending NCAA, you know, this is the storyline probably should have led the show, but we are who we are. We have an NCAA finals rematch in the quarterfinals, a match that was 4-3 earlier this season between Kentucky and Virginia. That's nuts. Like, that's yeah. awesome for all But this time fans. we get to see Rodesh versus Draxel. Yeah, very <laughs> true. Uh, wait, we didn't last time? Am I wrong? Well, because it was – why? Because it was Ty Kwiatkowski versus Draxel? No, no, no. no oh, I you're talking about earlier in the season. You're earlier about, this year, yeah. Both, I, I thought both you meant Draxel NCAA final. Rod I see. Yeah, they both Draxel and Rodesh were out for that match. So it was fair. Neither one had their top, but we didn't get that match in the mix. Are we going to talk about the Wikipedia thing? Did you see that? Uh, I did not see okay, that. Okay, someone on Wikipedia changed Liam Draxel's profile to say he's most well known for his father, Tyson Kwiatkowski, who whatevered him, like owned him at the 2022 NCAAs. <laughs> I'm like... Was it the classiest thing in the world? Obviously not. Are we aren't we allowed to have jokes like in fun? Like that's probably too far given Draxel's obviously dad is a coach on the team, and it's like okay, whatever. But like, it wasn't serious. Like, come on, let's have a little fun with it. And now, as fans, like, if you're Draxel, you're like, all right, I'm not forgetting that, and like, I'm getting after it. Mm. If anything, it just raises the intensity of the moment. Um, final Stanford thoughts. Like, honestly. I don't know whether this was a season from hell. If the fact that they are you were a point away from the quarterfinals means this team actually like vehemently overperformed, given how banged up they were. Final thoughts on this one, Chris? Yeah, ah, yeah. Again, it was just it was so hard to to know what to make of Stanford. We just never saw a full Stanford team 
all year we knew that you know coming down we said if all four of those guys are are playing they could beat anybody and well it turns out no basing right so and i i I felt like that was going to make it very very difficult on them and that very well may have been the difference for them in this match it kind of i mean yes it was still a 4-3 match but i think not having a a full healthy 4-4 for them sort of you know, may not have ended it. Obviously, they still were in it, but it, it took away their their very good chances of pulling off that upset. So, uh, but I, I also feel like it feels like it's the same story every year with that team, right? It's like we keep getting high on them and they always have all the talent and then guys don't play or they're hurt or they you leave the team, whatever the case may be. Uh, Kentucky was just, you know, they did what they had to do. They were the better team. Mm-hmm. No, well said. And yeah, it's funny because you're absolutely right that I still don't know how good Stanford is. I, I know Stanford's getting ridiculous recruits next year to add to the mix. If Ferry yeah. comes back and Banerjee and Bosferetti and everyone's healthy, like wh- I'm looking forward to the call when you and Jay are like, no, Stanford's got to be preseason top five. And I'm gonna be like, are we really doing this again? Um, and <laughs> like, No, yeah. like we are doing it again. And it's just, yeah, I, it's well said. I, I don't know where I am with the Stanford program. They are certainly a storyline, I think, for us to examine this offseason. But with that said, those are your two, four, three matches. Now we can start to go even faster down the home stretch here. Again, we do want to spend some time previewing the quarterfinals. I'm not trying to rush Chris, folks. I promise. And shout out. I don't want to name, I don't like want to give away coaches who are talking to us because we didn't ask, like, can I use the quote? But some, one coach came up to us last night, they know who they are, um, and was like, no, I just really like that you two actually do love each other. And I was <laughs> like, no, nah, I, I know, like, you don't think I actually hate his guts? Like, I do, but I just love him so much. <laughs> I was like, he's just, my, he really is one of my best friends in describing you. Um, and so shout out to that coach who's like, no, I see now at the dinner, it's all real. Like, you literally do just give each other all the time it's like yeah it's kind of our life like that's why we weren't get along so well um all right that aside let's move on to our next match and this was our only upset of the weekend a 4-2 win for South Carolina that I'm be honest Chris even what four days later I still can't believe South Carolina won this match and I mean credit to South Carolina we know how good they've been at doubles all year long Hool, Lambling, 6-3 win over Diaz and Prada. Now, Hud and Mitsui got a 6-4 win over Beasley and Story. Came down to the number one spot. Two of the top five te- doubles teams in the country. Came down to a breaker. On the road, Thompson, Samuel, knock off Monday and Harper, 7-6. 1-0 lead South Carolina. But, and this is a massive but. This is Chris Hallior's pre-lean, mean, vegan machine but. Tennessee comes back, Chris and wins five first sets in singles. And, like, Diaz wins in straight sets. Rodriguez wins in straight sets. Mitsui's up a set and a break. Monday's up a set and a break. It just felt like Tennessee had a 15-minute window where they could have run away with things. And, man, credit to the South Carolina squad. Now, I think Mitsui was a little bit banged up down the home stretch of that match because I'm pretty sure Lambling won the last 10 or 11 games at the number four single spot. But I mean, the story here, pun intended, James Story, three and one at the number three spot. You know, Thompson, Samuel, as they have all season long battling with Monday and Hud at the top two. And let's be clear, Monday and Hud went to Columbia. They beat Samuel and Thompson in straight sets. 
during the regular season. Joe Monday served for the match at one two different times and wasn't able to close things out. In the end, it's Connor Thompson, 7-6 in the third. Uh, He earns the clinch at two. Again, it was Lambling. It was Story. Thompson in doubles. Three of the top four, plus that dubs point, which has been a recipe for this South Carolina team all season long. And yet, I'll say it again, Chris, it's their best win since the National Indoors. It's probably their best win since at Kentucky, I should say, to start the SEC season. Your reaction to this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Still hard to believe. If you were going to tell me that Tennessee is going to get five per sets and they're going to get off the court straight sets at five and six, which are, the, I mean, we know the, I mean, it's the same story on both sides, to be honest. You know the top four and the questions are come with five and six, but it's more so on the on the Tennessee side here. Uh, and, and they get the straight set wins at five and six. So now you're telling me, ah, you just need two of the top four. And you've already got, you know, and you've already got the first set in three of those four matches. Yeah, sign me up. I'm there. Uh, so just great. I mean, yeah, what Story did to to Bicknell was, uh, I mean, that was three and one. Just that that's a crazy, that was a, that to me was the craziest scoreline. Yes, I was shocked to see, you know, fairly easy straight set wins for Tennessee at five and six. I was more shocked to see three and one. Uh, out of James Story over Bicknell, that was that was crazy. But as it should have, and as you know, as I would want it to for this match, it should come down to Samuel and Thompson. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the that is the guts of this South Carolina team. And we said it before the match; they were going to have to carry this team in doubles, and they were going to have to turn around and do it in singles. And in the end, they didn't have to have the 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 Samuel point because you know he was locked up with with Monday and and unfinished but you know Thompson gets it for him but there's you know I won't say there's no way I have very little faith that if you lose both you know Samuel and Thompson that you're going to be able to overcome that uh and against a team like Tennessee and get it done but yeah what a finish I tuned you know that's when I did I tuned in for that breaker to, to listen to you and Jay call it call it that with uh with Thompson and he just he turned it on when he had to have it and and I mean just a great great road when crazy that these two teams keep beating each other at the other's place no, it's, uh, a, it's absolutely nuts yeah I I just like usually that's a bit it, it's very tough to win on the road in the SEC and for those teams to just keep beating each other at each other's home spot yeah and it's and and we talked about it before the momentum for these two teams was going in opposite directions. South Carolina's not so much up. Tennessee's was. Uh, and so everything about this, even though it was the eight, nine match, it was, it was a good upset. A hundred percent. And look again, Rodriguez Diaz, they found their form to end the season, but I do think blaze Bicknell not picking things up where he left off in 2021. That is one of the storylines for this 2021 Tennessee, uh, 2023 Tennessee team that if blaze Bicknell goes, I don't know, win 60% of his matches this year instead of what he's at right around 500. Like, I do think it's a different story. I just don't think Blaze fully clicked in year one, which you can totally understand, by the way, after a year away from college tennis. God, I mean, HUD's up a break in that third set on two. And like, again, how many times did we see Emil HUD in third set deciding matches this season? Poor HUD parents. You just like got to feel for their heart rate throughout the course of this year. And look, he was right there. 
Thompson played electric, aggressive tennis down the home stretch to overcome that break deficit on the road again for Samuel to keep doing his thing. I even like Lucas Da Silva. Like, I know he lost his match in straights, but his size, his aggression, I think that's a piece there. But, man, credit to South Carolina. Again, this Tennessee team had made back-to-back NCAA semifinals to go on the road, beat them in the round of 16. It's a hell of a win for Josh Goffey and the Gamecocks. And now, of course, South Carolina advances to the final site in Orlando where they will face Texas. We'll talk about Texas in a second, Chris. Again, a couple more 4-2 matches. It was a really good round of 16 Super Regional weekend. But, you know, again, we'll, we'll try to be briefer down the home stretch so we can get to our preview so this pod's not seven hours long. I don't know about you, Chris. But I hear there's this guy who hosts a podcast who occasionally doesn't give predictions anymore because he's too afraid of seeing these coaches at dinners or, you know, wherever it is walking by and they're going to yell at him or avoid eye contact with him, whatever it may be. Um, I know someone like that who was very adamant that Ohio State and Arizona was going to be a really good match, that Ohio State was going to get through, but that Arizona had just the gumption to go to Columbus and make that one fun. God, did they. Like, oh, what a great match. Uh, again, Ohio State does what they do. They take the doubles point. They do their thing. Uh, and and again, like credit to the Buckeyes. God, are they good at doubles. All their teams make sense. They're all fluid. They close well. Ohio State does what they do at doubles. But man, credit to Arizona, whether it's Jay Friend, the freshman one and four over fellow freshman Alex Bernard, that was a hell of a win for Friend. You know, I thought Colton Smith, four and five over Boulay. Again, I don't think Justin Boulay played poorly. Smith just finds a way to freaking grind. And then, look, credit to Jack Anthrop. He is the real freaking deal at six. Three and three win for him. But you had three three setters in the heart of the lineup. Trotter, Tracy, Kingsley. Credit to Double H, you know, Herman Hoyerall. He had weapons. He just, he was down a set and a break. He breaks back for four all, takes the second set, seven, six. Really is what pushes this match into that third, fourth hour. But in the end, man, again, Tracy, Kingsley, simultaneous victories to deliver that 4-2 win for the Bucks over Arizona. This match was exceptional. It was really good. Your thoughts on it, Chris? Uh, it was great. And this is why, you know, you hear people say in not just tennis, but many sports that it's like, you know, X percent, which might be 70, 80, 90 percent mental, right? All these guys have the weapons in the game. Like you go watch them just practice. You can't tell one, you know, 100%. They, they all hit the balls. Like you have to see them in match conditions and then you have to see them in tight match conditions. And this is where it gets mental. It's the same thing when you watch the pros, everything looks like it's an even match and you're all of a sudden it's four all in the third. And what happens, the, the guy that's better somehow finds a way to win and get the break late in the match. Uh, and it just, it always seems to happen, and that's what happened here. Arizona absolutely pushed them right to the limits. They had those three three-setters coming down, and they were on serve, and we're getting late in the match, and you're still not sure. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kingsley get a, gets a break, and then Tracy gets a break. And, you know, it's just – it. but it it's they pushed them that late. They didn't let them run away and stomp them like Ohio State has done to so many teams. So, you know, credit to Arizona for that. But, yeah, Ohio State, is you know, they showed us, yeah, not just can we run away, but if we get in the tight match, we are still better and the guys are going to come through and it's they're not going to go 
oh boy, we haven't been here yet in a while. What do we do now and get tight? No, they were clutch and they did what you expect from the guy that you you look at and go, man, he's he needs to win that match. And he and they did. You know, Kingsley got came back and did what he needed to do uh, at the end of that match with Zeverts and getting the break. And and same thing with JJ Tracy. Mm-hmm. No, perfectly put. It's that this Buckeye team hadn't been pushed in like, all due respect to Michigan, I know it was a 4-0 scoreline. It was a much closer match than 4-0, but the Buckeyes hadn't been really pushed like this probably since that Texas match they dropped at the National Indoors and just, or I guess the 4-2 matches against Michigan, but those are just a different ball game. Like that's a whole different breed. Yeah, this was exactly what you wanted to see from this Ohio State team in a match that was outdoors in Columbus humid conditions against an Arizona team that was ready for them. And Ohio State said, that's cute. Like, you guys are really good, but we're the Buckeyes, and we don't lose at home. And to see Cannon flex his muscles at the end, you know, again, I'm I'm in a group chat with my cousin and brother who just, like, anytime Tracy loses a set, they're like, no freaking way. Like, upset alert. Like, Tracy lost a set. This is breaking news. Like, because he just doesn't lose sets. And then, you know, again, Strom pushed him. Man, was that match fun. But Tracy, Cannon, they get the job done. Buckeyes through 4-2, where it sets up a really interesting match, obviously, is they're going to take on a Georgia team that, look, Georgia's lost one match, Chris, since the start of the SEC conference uh, conference regular season. And credit to Harvard. Like, they came out ready for this battle. And you could argue if Harvard manages to take that tiebreaker at the number one doubles position, Malofsky and Walker dropping a breaker to Bryden and Quinn, that ultimately gives the doubles point to Georgia. If they take that breaker, who knows what happens? And ultimately, in the end, obviously, Georgia able to advance with a 4-2 decision over Harvard. Look, I mean, again, this match was really fe- freaking good, Chris. Ethan Quinn Gets a straight set win over Harris Walker, but that set went to a breaker. You know, Yuska looked really good at six, but man, credit to Harvard, two through five, whether it's Von der Schulenberg, two and one over Henning, Malovsky, two and four. You know, for for Harvard to go to Georgia and beat two fifth-year seniors in their final day on the job in Athens, it's a hell of a performance from the Crimson still. Miguel Perez-Pena's real. His clinch at five offers the clinch to Georgia, and that success, it's just been five months now. You can't doubt it anymore. Where are you with this Georgia team after their 4-2 win over Harvard? I mean, look, yeah, we said it coming in. You just keep waiting for someone to upset them. Well, it's not going to happen anymore because they're going to be the underdog in every match they play now in all likelihood. Uh, <laughs> so so there's not going to be anybody upsetting Georgia. Uh, they're good. I just don't, you know, I think, I think the big key right now is – that after the you know the early season dual match losses that Quinn has really turned things around and he looks he's back to looking like the lock that they expected and need him to be at the top of the lineup their doubles is better than average i won't say great but it's not just we we've got some teams that are just eh, they're average at, at doubles georgia's better than average but there are i wouldn't say they're like teams you know I would say teams like South Carolina and TCU, for example, are really good at doubles. I don't think they're at that level, but but they're not uh, they're not just average either. They have a lot of ways to win points, uh, you know, and they can do it up and down the lineup. I don't think there are teams that we look at and we go, Ugh, solid top four, a little weaker at five and six. I'm not even going to say that with Georgia. I think you know their weaker spots are probably up up higher. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just deep and they can play at five and six and they, they'll take advantage of you if you have a week five and six. So, so I think they're, I mean, they're legit. They could challenge anyone. They're just going to run into a really, really tough Ohio state team here. It's going to be such a good matchup. Two of the bluest blue bloods we've had in 21st century college tennis. And yeah, look, Quinn's back. Like this is the Ethan Quinn we expected. He's now won what eight, nine decisions consecutively. Him and Trent are playing really good doubles at the top spot. You know, Kreuter's serve for the match got broken. That's Blake Kreuter, as every so often. There's going to be a little two-minute blip where you're like, what are you doing? But let's be clear, he was going to serve for the match again, had a 5-3 lead, and you feel really good about him battling at four. If You know, again, I think the big thing for Georgia is, like, they had their two senior leaders, Bride, Henning, lose, and they still get through the match 4-2. That's the sort of experience you need early in a tournament. And, man, credit to Harvard. Like, they were that good. Harris Walker is that good. Von der Schulenberg is that good. You know, the the real thing was Milovsky and Son and like their depth was top 16 real, not Ivy League good, college tennis good. But it's really hard to beat Georgia and Athens. And this is the last note. 3,000 fans. You want to know why we host Super Regionals now in college tennis? Go look at the pictures from that match in Athens. If you ever are going to make a case that the NCAA tournament should be in Athens every year, this Georgia-Harvard matches your case because, God, were the fans special. Um, and you just hope we could get 3,000 ma- people out here in Orlando, Chris, because I do think the tennis is going to be that good down the home stretch. With that said, three more matches to go here. I think we'll be a little bit quicker through these three. We'll start with TCU, who did get pushed in a 4-1 victory over Mississippi State. Don't let that scoreline mislead you. This was a match moved up early due to rain concerns. TCU taking the doubles point. They get Luke Famba, who missed the opening weekend of play, in the doubles point. Now they pull Famba from singles, and you kind of see the impact of that. As credit to Mississippi State, they win a straight set match at three. Hernandez over Jung. They're able to force third sets on two, four, and five. Now, credit to Fernley. Continues to do his job. 3-3 three and three over Memo at the top spot. Maxted jumps into the lineup. 2-5 and five over Ramskogler. So, again, TCU continues to show depth is not an issue for them. In the end, it's a man I call the chosen one. Seb Gorsny, 6-3 in the third over Lumsden. It's a good match, Chris. Your reaction to number two TCU advancing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a very good match. I think uh, even, even for... For Mississippi State, who I, I obviously avidly follow, I thought they they put up maybe even more of a. I knew they'd make it a dogfight. I didn't know they'd get it as close as they got it. Look, you said it; it was four one. Uh, but the uh, the other two, you know, the other two matches that, that didn't finish. TCU was down in one and on serve. Uh, well, on serve it and may have been on serve at two three in the on on Pennington's court as well, but. Uh, it wasn't like they were running away with it. These these were very tight matches. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that yeah, still no still no Famba in singles, and and I think that's going to be you know that's going to be interesting. And look, which I you know we're here on site, we get to see the teams. My gut tells me Famba's not playing singles. I don't, you know, he doesn't look great to me. I, you know, I can see them just from watching what they're doing. I, if it's, you know, if I'm, if I'm making a guess off of what I saw from the guys practicing and I saw them, you know, hanging out and around, I don't think the guys playing singles. So I think that's going to be a, an interesting thing to watch for us, but, uh, but they still have plenty of depth. I mean, this is a great, 
singles lineup. Uh, I think it's huge for them if they can just get him, you know, in doubles uh, like they did, because that's, I mean, he's a big part of that doubles lineup for them, even though they have lots of options. Uh, but well, I still think about the con- no, for sure. It's the continuity of teams. It's for exactly. ball, allow, you know, Vivez and Gorsney to play together, allow Max Stead and Jong or Matt or Jong and Pennington Jones, whatever you need. You're just not screwing with your teams this late. I agree. Like we saw Fumba. Heavy left knee. T- uh, it was I forget which knee. I think it was the left, left knee in my head. Left yeah, knee heavy. Yeah. You know, heavy brace on that left knee. I don't know if we'll see him or not, but you're absolutely right. Again, for Maxted to come in and get a straight set victory, that's exactly what you're looking for for TCU at that six spot, and they're still really freaking good. But yeah, again, the best version of TCU has a healthy Luke Fomba. We haven't seen him in singles through the first three rounds. TCU able to advance, but obviously when you lose a top three dog, an All-American like that, it becomes a little bit more difficult uh, for your team. And so, again, credit to TCU, credit to this Mississippi State group. They're still pretty young as well. Like, a lot of those pieces are coming back. And, again, Coach Roberts just has that team, perennial top 16. They're always in the NCAA hosting fight. And that's a testament to the job that the Bulldogs have done. Last two, real quick. I think the only notable part about Duke-Virginia is that it's probably the first match in history to move indoors and then complete be completed outside. That's because they were having some leakage issues in the Boarshead uh, Country Club, and you know they were only using two courts for singles, and it was like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. They waited for the weather to clear up. They send everyone outside. Now, for what it's worth, in that indoor portion, you know, not only does Virginia take doubles, but Rodinus, and, oh, excuse me, I think the doubles happened outside. I don't honestly, they moved indoors and outdoors so frequently. Who freaking knows? Um, you know, Rodinus takes his first set over Montez again, but Rodesh, Vondra Schulenberg, each able to take seven, six first sets. They then move outdoors, and, you know, again, just the totality of that Virginia lead. You could feel it sort of wear down upon these Duke Blue Devils as that match progressed. It's also really hard to deal with a three-hour intermission when you're on the road and you don't know, are we staying at the Boar's Head? Are we going back to the hotel? Are we going to start up here in an hour? These were far from ideal conditions for Duke to take this match. And again, credit to Connor Krug, Ryan Gatz. Might be the best rivalry we had individually this season. They played three times. All three matches go three sets. It just ultimately didn't matter. Rodesh, Vonder Schulenberg, and in the end, Mons Dahlberg, 6-4 over Ferris Khan. That plus the doubles point. 4-0 win for the defending champions, Virginia, who I believe now have won, what, 19 in a row? Something crazy like that, entering this quarterfinals for the second consecutive year. Where are you at with the Who's? I Yeah, the same place I was coming in. Like I Look, Duke's a really good team. And I just didn't think it was going to be a test, and I don't think it was. Uh, I mean, they're just – Virginia's rolling. Uh, they're back in the same form they were coming into NCAAs last year. And, yeah, this this was sort of like, yeah, ho-hum, just chalk it up. I don't know which, you know, where which four courts it's going to be, but we're going to get them, and we're going to get them pretty quick. And, yeah. uh, you know, the only thing that slowed this down was all of the problems with the facilities and the moisture. Uh, outside of that, they made they made it through, you know, fairly comfortably, and uh, and I'm still, yeah, I want to I want to see them get really really tested, you know, like four three type or four two with two matches on serve in the third type test, uh, yeah. and I just haven't seen that. Have yet to drop a point in this NCAA tournament. I'll say this: everyone's back for Duke next year, and like again, 
I've said it all season long. I've said it for five years we've been doing this podcast, Chris, sometimes to get me in trouble when I've said it, but I'll say it again. College tennis is just better when the Duke men are good. Like, we need the best programs to be the best, to have this sport firing on all cylinders. And everyone's coming back for Duke next year. And, like, again, Ramsey has the the team he wants. He has the culture he wants. If Johns and, and Zhang are able to sneak out those 7-6 first sets, and they were very close to doing so, it is a completely different match. So, like, I know we kind of wrote off their chances because they weren't able to get it done, but, like, Absolutely. If a Rodesh turns pro, a Montez turns pro, whatever happens this summer, why can't Duke beat Virginia next year? I think it's going to be something, a really fun uh, rivalry to watch. I'm sure they'll play multiple times throughout the course of the year. Most importantly for Duke, you're hosting the kickoff weekend next season and very likely to get to the national indoors, just again, given everyone's coming back. Yeah. UVA looked the part though. 4-0 winners. They've yet to drop a point, have the defending champs in this NCAA tournament. Of course, another team that got a shutout, Texas, your number one overall seed. In our final round of 16 match here to discuss, Texas 4-0 over North Carolina. It got it was like a little interesting for like five minutes in the doubles, but God, did Texas look good. And credit to them, credit to Bruce Burke, was determined to play this match at night. Now, again, for North Carolina, sitting around for an extra three hours, that couldn't have been helpful. But man, credit to Texas. They take the doubles point. They take five first sets in singles. You know, Spiz is down a break multiple times to Cernok, but doesn't lose the second set. Uh, pulling, Waldeeb change, exchanging breaks, and yet Waldeeb's able to get through in straights. But perhaps most importantly, Chris, God did Junior Micah Braswell look good in a 3-3 three and three win over Jansen. And he has been, it's crazy to say this out loud, given his pedigree, he's been the weak spot in this Texas lineup this year. And it's like, Absolutely. if he's back and healthy, and fi- and a lot of that's been due to injury, let the record show, but if he's healthy and firing on all cylinders, they have the guy in Spaziri. We've seen this team for three years now, Chris. It's funny, they're playing South Carolina. It's like, I remember when they played them last time in Orlando. Um, Texas is really freaking good. They've been, I've been in the workout room with them every day so far here at my hotel, and like, God, I, I walk... Am I allowed to give these details? All right, yeah, because I love them. Um, Elliot's in there, and he's just, like, getting warmed up. And he's using maybe five-pound dumbbells, like maybe the fives. They might have been the two-and-a-halves, Chris. And he's just, like, rolling his wrists up and down to get them going. And he's like, oh, this is the heavy weights you expected, right? And I was like, actually, this kind of is exactly the weights I expected from <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Elliot, don't – don't f- with your wrist right now. <laughs> I was like, I'm fine. Like, do whatever you have to do to freaking get healthy. Meanwhile, what I don't know what that massage machine is, but like, it's not a Smith machine because that's a weight thing. But you know, like the massage things that you can use, like the guns that like a Theragun pre- type. Theragun. Thing, yeah. That's exactly what it was. So Spaziri's doing his little two pound dumbbells. Meanwhile, Cleves in the in the corner working the Theragun. And I was like, no, guys, this is exactly what I expect to see in a Texas workout is you using weights and Cleve in the corner massaging himself. Like, that's right up the alley. Um, obviously, so joking around. In the- yeah, no, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, no, I let the record show. Um, Coach Burke also getting after it on the exercise bike, as he always does. Shout out to him. Um, yeah, thoughts. I, long way of saying Texas four over UNC thoughts, Chris. Yeah, I mean, this is when we thought North Carolina might be able to 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 give them a match, and yeah, they 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 got a little bit close at times in singles, but not really. I mean, big picture, this match was likely to be seven zero. I mean, you know, 
Our yeah, exactly. Yep. He's up a break in the third. PY is up a break in the second to win in straights. And then even if you give Cernok the breaker that they're playing at one in the second, come on, Spaziri just doesn't lose. So uh, I mean, very good chance that they were just gonna just sweep it. Uh and yeah, they're just they're just really good. And to you, I a hundred percent agree. You know, all the way through the season, if you said where are you, where do you have to beat Texas, you have to beat Texas with Braswell. I mean, he was early, you know, mid year. That was the spot where you went. I mean, his I I I think we called it out on the on the broadcast. It was barely over, like maybe eleven and nine, eleven and ten, something around five hundred ish, if you will, in singles. And that's a spot you looked at. And now, boy, he looked absolutely phenomenal against against Jansen and. I mean, if if they're going to continue to get obviously what they're getting from Py and from Spiz, and they get that from Braswell, I I don't think it matters whether it's Aramilli or anybody McDonald or Wong or whoever Bruce wants to roll out at six. It's going to be very hard to beat them. No, they're freaking good. They're very very good. And because again, I thought UNC was playing well down the season's home stretch and at the NCAA tournament, really good win over Utah. You could tell second set, Cernok was like, it's my last time on the job. Let's go. You know, Segerman, that first set breaker to not take it. That did feel like the death nail for UNC. But for Micah and Waldeep to beat Jansen and Polling in straight sets. Let's be clear, by the way, Casey Kenya hit three of the most beautiful cross-court returns Chris and I will ever see throughout (laughs) the course of this match. Let's just let the record show we haven't forgotten, but... Yeah, Texas flexed the muscles. I completely agree with you, Chris, to be, uh, to become the last team, excuse me, given how late that match was, to reach the NCAA quarterfinals. And with that said, Chris, all eight Super Regional recaps in the books. We have four quarterfinals here to preview now. Again, we're going to be quick with our analysis. Not quick, but efficient with our analysis. And much like we did with John J. Parsons, I asked Chris, six minutes before the show started, to rank his quarterfinals most to least likely to see a top seed be upset. And again, just to set the scene for everyone, left side of the draw, number one, Texas, number nine, South Carolina. You have number four, Kentucky against number five, Virginia. Right side, you've got number three, Ohio State versus number six, Georgia. Number two, TCU versus number seven, Michigan. Obviously, college football playoffs rematches. Who doesn't love to see that? Chris Helioris, I turn to you now. Who is the top seed most likely to get upset and make the case for that upset? Well, I mean, there's no, there's zero question who that is because they're, uh, they're probably, they almost have to be the underdog in this match. And that is Virginia, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, Virginia is the five seed here. Kentucky is the four seed. Just the way Virginia has been rolling. I mean, like you said, 19 straight. They look, now Kentucky beat them earlier in the year, right? And that was Sans Draxel, Sans Rodesh, uh, making it even, fair match. But, uh, and that was at, uh, Virginia as well, uh, I believe. Uh, but it just doesn't seem like we're in the same place as we were back then. I, I think, I do think that Kentucky's, I mean, I would call it a lot closer to a, to a, to a 50, 50 type match, but you still got to give, you have to give the edge here to Virginia just with the way they've been playing. I think they're a better doubles team, which is going to be critical uh, in this match. Uh, and then boy, I have, I sort of feel like 
it it might come down uh, yet again to Liam Draxel and Draxel and Rodesh. Uh, I, I can see that being being the difference in uh, maker in the match here. Uh, and if it is, I actually sort of like Kentucky's chances because uh, I, it's going to be look. It, it, it is going to be at night. It's not going to be as hot and humid, but it's not going to be. They're not going to be the fastest courts in the world. We're outdoors. You got some humidity. You got some tack. Uh, it's, it's not going to be like the, like it's super, super fast. Um, uh, and you know, and we know what, what Traxel can do and what he's going to turn that match into. So I think it'll be interesting, but they definitely have to be the, that has to be the most likely of the lower seeds to beat the higher seeds. And it's just the four or five match. Yeah. I think it's a fair place to put them. Uh, I like, I don't see it. Like you mentioned Virginia a little bit better at doubles. Are we sure? Like, I don't think either team's particularly I don't think good they're at great, doubles. but yeah, ne- neither team is great in doubles. A hundred percent. And so that's a toss up point. But then, like, across the board, talk about the contrast in styles. Like, Rodesh, 16 and 1 at the top spot, obviously going to hit the big serve, the big ball against the 17 and 7 at this top spot, Liam Draxel. Of course, that's the one contrast. The next one, Alafiayeni, who is going to hit bombs and, you know, 17 and 9 overall in the year. He's taken on an Iñaki Montez, 12 and 4, who I've never seen him make three unforced errors in a row. Well, I was going to say, you. I talked earlier about how mental this game is. I mean, this match is going to be all mental because, I, you know, Iñaki's got all the weapons and Montez is just going to make him use them and make him hit them over and over and over again. And he's either going to frustrate Iñaki to death or Iñaki's actually going to hit the winners and and Montez is going to get upset. But that's yeah, that, that's going to be a great match. But if you think that one's good, lop it out versus Von der Schulenberg. It's the first time in my life I'd be like, man, someone might beat Jeffrey. Like, because again, Vonder Schulenberg, 24 and 4 overall in the year, team leader and wins. At the same time, I've never seen Kentucky win a match where Josh Lapidot loses. And Lapidot, 23 and 4, he's the team leader and wins. Like, that's the that's swing a, match to me. Yeah. Whoever takes three, match. that's the one I'm looking. And you could do it up the board. Like, Gets body, you lean. Gets just given the up and down nature of body's year. But still, Taha, we just saw what he did against Stanford. Um, I mean, are you going to definitively take Kiefer over Weeks or Kosne or, or excuse me, or Dahlberg over Kosne? I think you lean Dahlberg, but I don't think like again in the two matches, the only two matches where I have a lean, I would lean Gets over Body. I would lean Dahlberg over Kosne, but just barely. And every other five points, all other five are toss up. And again, why I think it's fair to have them here is I do think it, it you know, again, given the fact that you lean two points one way with all other things being equal, yeah, it has to be an upset alert. Chris, all of that said, match wow. prediction, give me your pathway. I would. I don't even like either of those leans. In fact, I think body— You go is, the other way? I think body is <laughs> very well equipped to hit that high top spin into the Getz backhand. Back. He yeah. can do that, right? Okay. There are a lot of guys that don't. He's got that ball. And he can do it. That that one to me is not nearly a lean. I don't. I haven't seen enough of Dahlberg. To I just know. think the Ryan gets serve and forehand is the biggest weapon on the court. It is. It is. It is going to be a big weapon. Yeah. Uh, the the only the only match that I really feel with a comfortable lean is I'm going to lean Kiefer over Weeks. That's my lean. I don't even like really? the other the other two leans. Yeah. I just too many holes in the and too much just immaturity in the week's game right now. And I think, I think Kiefer can take advantage there, but other than that, I know, I think everything is straight up and down could, could go either way. And I kind of like body to, 
to to take get. So uh yeah, I this is a really tough one to call uh for me. I just don't know how you get a they're just so many options for for Virginia and they've been on such a roll. I don't know how to get away from it. I I think I do think Virginia ends up finding a way here. Uh you don't have so to give I, me the full path. Just give me who clinches. Number and who clinches. I'm going to say that it's going to be uh it's either 4-2 or 4-3. Um It's tough. They're all really good matches. I I'm going to I'm going to say Von der Schulenberg clinches it. Wow, over Lapidot. Well, that, that's going to be the match and that will be I mean the match. even though Lapidot likes to come in, it won't be a fast match. Like oh, they will be out there a while. No, that's the one where again First of all, if Virginia does beat Kentucky and it's Lapidot who gets clinched on, you deserve to beat Kentucky if you can beat Joshua Lapidot on any given day. But I'm not making predictions. Again, I'm on the call for this one. Um, yeah, it's going to be freaking fun, folks. Buckle the seatbelts. All these matches are going to be good. And if that's Just for the record, one, I may be on, I'll be on the call too, but I'll still make predictions. Yeah, but you're allowed to do that because I'm like the <laughs> – you know, I'm the I'm the I'm the, I'm the play by play guy. So you know, you, know, you, you, yeah. you don't want you don't want the you don't want the coaches to not even make eye contact with you. When you I didn't fight. exactly. I didn't want to say this, Chris, but I'm in the power seat. Like <laughs> if power seat can't be making predictions. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's very fair. Um. All right. Who's second most likely to get upset? I have no freaking clue where you. I think I know who your four is going to be. I have no idea what you're going to do with two and three. Really? Oh, I have. There's zero question in my mind of the order here. You're going to say Michigan just because the guys got under your get it got in your head last night. No, they didn't get him. Okay, look, first of all, they are the next one. Second of all, look, I I actually thought I'd have to recant all of those thinkings. Now, I thought Michigan was a quality higher education institution. But, (laughs) But look. I'm going to uh, let's just recap my picks over the last month and a half. I picked Michigan to win the national championship. That was back in December. Let the record okay. show. I picked them to win the national championship. And obviously we didn't know what the draw was going to look like at the time over Ohio State in the final. That obviously can't happen now because they would meet in the semifinal if they did. But I took them to win the national championship. I took I picked them to beat USC in their region. I've been on, you know, picking them all along. And all I hear when I see the guys is, there he is, college tennis ranks, the guy that hates Michigan. (laughs) Well, I don't don't even understand where that comes from. It's just because you love them so much. No, let the record show. No, it's because after they lost to Ohio State in the Big Ten final, you were like, I'm out. You're like, you know what? It's official. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) <laughs> but I will also say, look, look, it makes me feel so good that not only just when they see me in passing, they will say something to me because that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But when they're practicing and we're walking by the courts and you hear, there he is, college tennis in the middle of a ground stroke, they're calling <laughs> me out. It's phenomenal. I love those guys, man. Oh, yeah. that's That's the best ever. All right, but, listeners, let the record show. Who is biased towards Michigan? You yeah. just heard that rant. It's not me. Yeah. <laughs> but with 100% certainty, because, I, uh, because look, they are good. I've picked them to win all these things along the way. Uh, and then throw on top of that, that 
I personally don't believe Famba's playing, uh, at least not in singles. That's just right. And the fact that Michigan beat them last year, mm-hmm. that's just right for a very, very, very possible uh, upset. You know, when you take Famba out, yes, TCU's deep, but, you know, whatever combination it's going to be, probably Vives and Maxted, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say tons of experience there. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a really good match. I don't have a ton of faith right now with, for Michigan at six either, right? Cooksey hasn't played in a while. Don't think we're going to see him. He's got it's a rib injury. Bick. I think he's out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's got to be Bick. Bick didn't obviously look great in the, the match with USC. So hopefully, you know, for that, for their sake, that turns. Um, but yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Like. Styler Fernley, holy cow, that's firepower well, on the court. Just to stop you there, so that's the the argument for Michigan. And look, TCU's lost two matches this year. They're twenty five and two overall. Both losses to Texas. You have to beat Jake Fernley. And to Michigan's credit, if nothing else, Andre Styler is a player capable of beating Jake Fernley. Like 100%. that's where it starts. And you you know again, on the right day. Fenty, if it's versus Fomba, or if it's versus Sander Jong. It's, it's going to be Fenty and Jong. Fenty uh, can win that well, match. Look, Michigan beat TCU last year in what David Rodini yes. called the worst scheduling I've ever done because it was right after the national indoors. And, yeah, I think it's fair to say TCU was not ready to play that match at home in the way Michigan certainly was after not reaching the indoors in 2022. Michigan's seen it. Like, they know the matchup. They've been there. At the same time, like, what, Gorsney's lost once this year? Um, you're going to pick against Sander Jong. Good yeah. luck picking against the landlord. Like, I don't know what to tell you there. Or like, again, doubles. Yes, Michigan's gotten a lot better. But Maxted and Jong play three doubles. Like, at a certain point, what are we doing? And like, that's just as good as it gets, Chris. It's a really, again, there's depth everywhere. Even without Fombo, you're right. Like, Vivez, Maxted. You feel like at five and six, given the ups and downs of Young and Bickerstaff, it's very winnable matches for TCU. Michigan's been a top four centric team in a lot of big matches this year. You know, again, can Nino beat a Gorsny? Can Maloney do his thing again against a Captain Jack who did just go three sets, Jack Pennington Jones against Mississippi State? Spoiler, folks, I'm going to say it again here one more time. Every match is good in the quarterfinals. Every match, it's it, the easiest thing to do in our jobs. Mine and Chris's say, yeah, 4 3 one way or the other. And the good news is I get to do that because I'm in the power chair. But I hand things over to the man who I forced to actually answer questions, Chris Halioris. Prediction, clinching spot. Yeah, look, I as far as the, the potential upset, I'll say Michigan can win this match without doubles. Like, I think it's critical, but I don't think they have to have doubles to win this match. Styler, Styler can and should be firmly. Fenty can very easily, I think it's going to be Jong. Can and I think probably should beat Jong, especially if they're going to win. They're going to they're going to get those two. Uh, I don't like having to beat Gorsny. That's going to be a, that's going to be a tough one uh, for Nino. Gavin Young can beat Vives. Uh, and now can Maloney beat Pennington Jones? Of course he can. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've said, I don't particularly like, uh, not just this, the form we saw from Vic, uh, here, but I, I think I would favor TCU there, but, but he could, he could win as well. They could get, there's no, there's no doubt they could still win four singles matches in in there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I have to, 
I have to pick an upset in here somewhere, right? And it sure as hell ain't going to be one of the top two. <laughs> Go blue. Oh, we're cutting that from the show. He picked ah. TCU, folks. He picked TCU for it. Yeah, oh, was, was that was that Go Frogs? Is that what I said? Yeah, I heard Go Frogs. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, I think it's no. This this is the match I'm honestly actually looking the most forward to, uh, just because I you know Michigan is coming on. I don't the thing. I don't feel great the fact that they just you know they couldn't get Ohio State in three shots. That doesn't make me feel feel great about it. But I do think, and I've said this all along. To to me, like. If Fenty is in it and he's, you know, he's the spirit at the head of this team. And if he's doing it, and I think he is, he's in, he's in it right now. It, man, I, I, I do. I think, I think they get it. Uh, and I, and I think, I think it's a four, three match. All right. Buckle the seatbelts folks. That one's going to be fun. Well, last two here. We'll start with Ohio state, Georgia. Cause I just assume that's going to be three on your list. Make the case which way you're leaning. What do you like most? Yeah, I mean, I I have to lean Ohio State here. They're just so solid. I the what I like for I'm and they're just a better doubles team. Not meaning they're going to win the doubles point, but they are a better doubles team. You have to lean for them in doubles. You have to lean at this point, Ethan Quinn at one. At the same time, I have to lean Cannon Kingsley at at two. And then it just gets really tough. J.J. Tracy is definitely going to be favored at three uh, over Trent Bride. So now you're up to three points already, and you're telling me all Ohio State's got to do is find one more of the bottom three, and the and they're you know they're going to be favored da- down there. It's just hard to it's hard to pick uh, find the pathway for Georgia. I think this is like yeah, this is a I don't even know. I don't know that this will be that close. I'm going to say 4-1 Ohio State here. Quinn's got to get a win. He's got to get a straight set win and get off the court over Boulay for them. I'm just not sure where they're going to get another one quick enough. They could easily get them, but I think Ohio State gets four points. And I think Ohio State, if they get the doubles, may get three matches in straight sets. So if Georgia doesn't find something else quick, it's a 4-1 match. And I, and that's where I got to, I got to lean Ohio State. It's funny because on paper, Tito Yuska, who is an all-conference performer at Clemson, like him at six, given the experience delta, shouldn't you lean him over Anthrop? And yet you're Zero. like, yeah, Zero and then you're like, but Anthrop's so good, man. Yeah. Like I watch a Jack Anthrop this season, fifteen and two overall. I watch his forehand. I'm just like. How is he playing six? And then yeah. it's just like, well, here's how he's playing six. Because Trotter's 26-0 and 0 at four. Because Tracy has still lost fewer than six times in his career in dual match play. Because in no way, shape, or form is Cannon Kingsley ever leaving the top two of a singles lineup. And then it's like, oh yeah, and by the way, Justin Boulay hits a massive freaking ball as a lefty. And Alex Bernard's really good as well. And like, look, it's simple. Georgia has to beat Alex Bernard at five. They have to. If Miguel Perez-Pena doesn't win that match, Ohio State is going to the semifinals. They have to win. They have to to win one, five doubles, and then find something. Well, I think one in five more than anything. Like, I think Quinn has to beat Boulay. I think Bernard has to—excuse me. MPP has to beat Bernard. Yep. 
So Ohio State. I don't think you find. I they don't. I don't know how you beat them. I just don't know how you beat them in the other five spots. Like they've been that good all year long. But anything can happen in doubles, right? Sure. So that's why I say you just. But can it? Ohio State doubles pairings: Kingsley Tracy, sixteen and three at at three. Cash and Boulay, 21 and 5. And bet against Robbie freaking Cash. I know Brian and Quinn are ranked higher, but bet against Robbie Cash on a doubles court uh, at your own peril. Like Luchanik and Trotter are 12 and 7, but they hit the snot out of the ball. Like, oh, at the same time, George has lost one match since the start of conference play. Like, again, Henning right. had a bet. You think Henning's going to lose two in a row, like, to end his career? That's not a bet I'd be willing to make. You think, like, Again, you think he's going to beat Kingsley? No, I but I'm saying I, I, just want, I, I just like I don't know what like that's what yeah. I'm saying. I for all these matches, it's really good analysis here, Chris. Where you're telling me matchups, I'm like I don't know. They're going to be really fun. Like everyone's like, wow, that's great insight, Alex. This is why we listen to the pod. Um, yeah, Kingsley's just got two. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't, obviously, it can, that's why they play the match, and that's why we get them wrong. But yeah, uh, sure. but yeah, when we when you look at it on paper, there's just no way Ohio State lo- you know loses four singles matches. It's going to be hard to get them in three. Mm-hmm. That just means that they have to win doubles. And like we said, I'm I'm a, I am hundred percent convinced that it has to be at one and five. Mm-hmm. It has to be doubles, and then they just got to find one of the others. I still think that's probably not going to happen, but. Absolutely, it can. And so somebody just has to have a great day and step up, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be your pick then? Give me the recipe. Who's winning this match? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to say it's it's Ohio State, uh, you know, four one uh, and and I'll go Trotter with the clinch. Mm-hmm. It's going to be. Uh, OK, um, I'm like doing the math in my head. And I'm like, God. It's, it's so hard to find it. I know. It's like there's one path for Georgia, and that's what just makes it hard. When you when you can only find one path, it's just tough. Yeah. Um, God, this match is going to be good. And it's a great color matchup, too. And, like, I'm just say, sorry. I'm hopeful that we see them out there tonight. The one thing I was disappointed in, and we talked about this, if you're going to be playing the night, and that they are – the Michigan TCU and Georgia Ohio State matches are the 8 p.m., 7:30 p.m., whatever the hell time they get out there. They're the late matches, which is you will be dark under the lights. If you're going to be playing under the lights, you need to practice under the lights. Mm-hmm. Of those four teams, who's the only team we didn't see out there practicing last night? You're gonna Georgia. say Georgia, but can I give the counter? I, and they, they'll probably be out there tonight. No, but. the count. The counter is. They haven't been indoors all year. Like, if they want to do a late night practice at Georgia for the past month, it's been like, well, we have to be outdoors under the lights. And, like, you're right. We didn't see them yesterday. But that's probably because they were like, yeah, we're just going to practice in Athens on Monday night and then we'll fly down Tuesday. Because why would we fly there early when Athens is maybe a degree and a half colder than Orlando. Like it's, it's two uh, parallels North or two perpendiculars North or whatever it is. And so like, I, I don't agree with you. I mean, again, I don't, agree there's no substitute for playing on the same courts. Yeah. And, but none of them were allowed to do that anyways. Well, Cause they're like, you can't yeah, play at the collegiate not center. Those courts, but yes, yeah. I know. But ones that are similarly surfaced anyway. Yeah, uh, it's fair. In the same temperatures that, that have been there, you know, experiencing the same for the for years and and under those lights. I just think they need to. So I'm I'm hopeful that while we're watching the women tonight, that we will see the Georgia men over there practicing. But can I just add, 
How freaking sexy, again, how freaking sexy is this battle of schools? Like, we just, we are in blue blood territory. And I hope everyone acknowledges that. Like, this is so fun. And I'm not saying we haven't had matchups like this before. I mean, last year's Kentucky TCU was really good. Michigan, Ohio State was really good. Tennessee Baylor's really good. Whatever the third quarter or fourth quarter final was, was really good as well. Um, who am I forgetting? Kentucky, Virginia. Who did Virginia play? Oh, Virginia, Florida was ridiculous Florida. in the yeah. quarters last year. I think we have that again this season, folks. And so, again, if you aren't going to be there, tune in. Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Last one, South Carolina, Texas. Rematch the Toronto 16 in 2021. That was a match that went 4-3. It was clinched, I believe, by Evan McDonald, um, who somehow two years later is not in the singles lineup. Again, a testament to this Texas team, the continuity they have. Samuel was on that South Carolina team. Thompson was on that South Carolina team. Lambling was on that South Carolina team. Beasley was on that South Carolina team. These two groups know each other. Um, That said, Chris Helioris, pick, leaning, what you got? Well, first of all, there's just at this point, there's no way you can lean against Texas. They look so, so good. And the pathway is pretty, pretty clear for South Carolina in every match. It's got to be dubs. And look, they're I mean, they probably if they have any hope, they have to win doubles. Mm-hmm. And they probably they are the better doubles team. They should win doubles here. And not that Texas is bad, but South Carolina is just good at doubles. And they ought to get the doubles point now. Where after that, I mean, their strength is Toby Samuel, but, you know, just like it was trying to beat Joe Monday, good luck beating Spins. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to get that done. And five and, you know, the five and six, whatever, you know, whoever, you know, they're going to be playing probably say it's Poole and De Silva again uh, against. Yes, six. I mean, I think I just can't lean that way, but someone's got to beat. Aramilli or or McDonald or, or Wong, whoever Texas rolls out. I I just don't see it. Texas is so good. South Carolina, I'll go back to, yeah, even though Braswell looked great, you got to beat Braswell. You got to win doubles. You probably have to say Toby's got to find a way, you know, to to beat Spiz. And then and then Connor Thompson's probably got to find a way to beat uh to beat PY. It could be done. I don't, it's going to be a very tough one. I do think South Carolina can get the doubles point and sneak another singles match in there. And I'll say Texas comes out 4 2. It's, it's going to be, again, the recipe for South Carolina has been so rigid all season long, right? Doubles, top two, one more. And when story's yeah. clicking, it's doubles, top three. And just like, you're just not doing that against texas you're just no they're gonna have to get yeah exactly they're gonna have to get someone stepping up someone or someone's stepping up down low and which is very possible i mean they could win i mean they could very easily win that match at six but it's just you certainly can't favor it yeah i just god waldeep lambling like if waldeep's healthy that one could be tough um the silva or sorry not the silva um who plays five i'm blanking right now yeah, Hool versus Harper. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to be beating uh, Cleve Harper down this NCAA tournament home stretch, particularly when he's working. What's the name of the gun? The massage the gun? Theragun. Yeah, when the Theragun's working on all cylinders, you're just not beating Cleve. Um, I mean, 
I'll tell you what, Chris, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on Lucas Da Silva because I'm telling you, I watched him. I, I literally texted Goffey. I go, I know he lost, but I actually would argue the most impressive performer in your match against Tennessee was Lucas Da Silva because, like, I'll take the stock now. Thank you very much. And, like, are you kidding? A summer working with Josh Goffey? Like, he could turn me into a competent six singles player, let alone a guy with actual weapons. Um, <laughs> yeah, that said, Texas, like, Texas, Texas, Texas. The draw has broken perfectly for this group. The single thing we will fight about till my dying day now, Chris, is that I let you talk me out of picking Texas to win the 2023 National Championship when we were doing their preview podcast because go listen to that show. Zoom to the end where I do this whole rant on how we've said they're a year away for a year, uh, for three years now, a year away, a year away, a year away. Well, this is the year. Um, Obviously, the chance to get it started against South Carolina. Very fun. You say 4-2. Who clinches? Boy, need a match that's going to be out there a while. Um, I'm going to say it's Cleve Harper. All right. Cleve Harper with the clinch for Texas. I like that call. Chris Halliorce. And I appreciate all of your analysis. Uh, Obviously, Appreciate you joining me throughout the course of the year and appreciate you paying for dinner, by the way, last night as well. I definitely owe you more considering I had to have lost more bets than you did this year. I don't know. We'll trust our scholars who listen to every show to determine who was the winner of the bets. Uh, Troy will have to, our, our, our UK yeah. uh, uh, journalist here will, who, who loves to uh, keep mm-hmm. tabs, but you're, you're keeping tabs for me, Troy. Tell, tell me how many dinners Gross can owe Yeah, because... It, the number is immense, I promise. And, of course, again, really appreciate you taking the time. Really appreciate everyone who is here in Orlando who's already made the time to come speak with Chris and I. Obviously, the whole fun of being here is to get the chance to interact with the entirety of the College Tennis Nation. I know John J. Parsons joins us here on Wednesday on the ground as well. And, look, quarterfinal start here today. Women on Wednesday, men on Thursday, semifinals for both Friday, finals for both Saturday. We're going to have a lot of content. For all of you college tennis fans, we will have recaps of each and every day of the Division One team event. No matter how late, we are forced to stay up. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an ending job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A massive shout out as well to our dear friends, of course, at both LS and Turner. You all know the deal to find the entire LS catalog. Click on the link in the description to this show. Find Turner wherever you buy your tennis supplies. So be sure to do so and support their support of this show today. Uh, of course, with all of that said, Chris Halliorce, any final thoughts? You ready to enjoy some tennis? Ah, ready to enjoy some tennis, man. Women's quarters tonight, men's quarters tomorrow. Oh, we're going to have some fun. Remember when we thought this podcast was going to be under an hour? Chris, we're about to hit the hour and a half mark. So ah. with that said, I think we've hit everything for the Lean Mean Vegan Machine. My partner in crime, Chris Halliorus, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at both Turna and LS, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. Great shot. And we will see you all hopefully on the grounds in Orlando. Thanks, everyone.